Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The title of our message tonight is uh, Strange Days Indeed. And these are, if you can permit me a little bit, these are strange days, are they not? I mean, and I'm not being irreverent much, but I mean, they, they just buried Michael Jackson this Saturday. What have they been doing? With... I, I, and also, have you noticed, is, is anybody else struck by the irony of the bank bailouts? Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I appreciate banks. I mean, but they have one basic job as to watch the money. People walk, people walk in and out all day long and give them money. And all they have to do is watch it. And, they, and now we're bailing them out. I'm thinking if they can't succeed in that one cardinal opportunity, let them go the way of the dinosaurs. Uh, they, you know, I don't believe it really ought to be. These are odd, odd days in, in which we live, but that's the lighter side of it. Tonight we have a heavy topic. Uh, we are, we, you might think I, I drew the, the short straw in the pastor's uh, meeting getting this, this one. But... Um, it's the story of my life, but, but not at all, not even close, because I so much respect and admire the Word of God for not shrinking back from difficult topics. I so much appreciate the fact that God's Word is comfortable making us feel uncomfortable. The truth is completely at ease even when we squirm. And, the, and the, the Word of God is able to penetrate past soul and spirit into the very heart of an individual. And that's what this Word does. And we, we are determined to present the full counsel of God's Word. I'd much rather preach on prophecy or Israel or heaven or grace or salvation, pretty much just about anything but this. But yet God, God's Word addresses all things pertaining to life and godliness. And we can do no less. And so, let's open tonight with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you tonight and we just uh, humble ourselves before you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, God, we, we just ask, uh, ask for your word to penetrate our heart. To do its sometimes brutal work, Lord, where it needs to be done. To clean up, to help us to grow up, Lord. And then help us, Lord, to, to come up to what you expect us to live as a standard of living. And we, we ask you to be the God of all comfort tonight and also the God of all truth. And you, you know how to find that balance, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Well, for our text tonight, we'll be in two places. One you can mark is Jeremiah chapter 3. And the other, as you can probably predict, is Matthew chapter 19. Because although there's a great deal of controversy and many voices and seems to be much confusion about the topic of divorce and remarriage and, and you can find all different opinions within the, the parameters of the church. On one side, you'll find a, a, a part of the church that says anybody who has been uh, divorced and remarried is, is put into some kind of a second-class citizenhood. In some denominations, you're not allowed to serve in the ministry if you've gone through a divorce. And, and there's all different levels of belief on the very conservative side of the opinion of remarriage. 
On the other hand, you have other parts of the church that are very liberal in this regard. And they allow divorce and remarriage, and they'll marry anybody. They'll marry believers to non-believers. There's very little marriage preparation that takes place. They just uh, use the goal of, well, whatever makes you happy, and that kind of a a feel-good sort of an approach to marital relationships. And as is often the case, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, somewhere in a balance between those two wide-ranging perspectives. And I understand that this is a very delicate topic, uh, that people who have gone through divorce and gone through remarriage and sometimes multiple instances of each uh, have a great deal of emotional pain. And the very last thing I would want to do tonight is to lay any additional layers of guilt or shame or trauma on anybody who's struggling or has struggled with this difficult topic. And yet, God is bigger than all our pains, bigger than all our failures, larger than all our mistakes. If he weren't, we've come to the wrong place. Uh, We need to be at happy hour with the rest of the world. But we believe that God is bigger than our sins, that his grace is sufficient, that he makes us more than conquerors, and that our sin does not overshadow our Savior. And we have to cling to that fact sometimes uh, really most, most strongly. But in Matthew chapter 19, uh, we begin to discover that Jesus spoke very directly to this issue. That as much confusion as there may be, even in the church, there is absolute clarity in the mind of God about the issue of divorce. And to move back to the garden just for a moment before we dive into our text, let's get a little larger view of what God intended for the institution of marriage. And let's understand that divorce was not on the radar scope in the Old Testament, period. There weren't even the, the options that exist here in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 and elsewhere in Corinthians that, that, that are introduced in the New Testament. Uh, adultery was dealt with in the Old Testament economy by death, not by divorce. So God did not even introduce the concept into the human experience. He anticipated that marriage would be a lifelong experience between two people in a harmonious, monogamous relationship. And they would bring forth a nuclear family, and they would would be fruitful, and it would would go go through history in that manner. So, So it wasn't even in the blueprints. And we're going to find out who introduced it and why as our time goes on tonight. But... Um, there isn't an absolute equation for every situation. And I'm not trying to counsel from the pulpit tonight to everybody's certain set of circumstances because they are so personal, they are so emotional. Many require in-depth, long-term counseling to find God's mind on an issue. So there isn't just a cookie-cutter answer in all cases. Um, as one commentator said, that trying to solve some of these relational issues with multiple marriages and multiple stepfamilies and different is like putting scrambled eggs back in the shell. And even the Lord doesn't ask us to do that. So, I mean, and, and not, not to be harsh, but I was listening to one of my favorite commentators on this topic, 
And he, I thought he was going to lay some beautiful nugget I could give you tonight and really be, whoa, this is some heavy thing. He says, you know, I, I talked to some people and they've had so much pain and so much trauma and so many multiple relationships going on that the very best thing for them to do, and then he paused, and I thought, here it comes, the fresh man I'm going to be able to, he goes, the best thing for them to do is to die. I thought, well, uh, that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> that's a little bit strong. Uh, but it makes the point that some things have become so complex and complicated that there isn't an easy solution. But there's always an answer to, to flee back uh, to our Savior. But back in the garden, when God introduced the idea of the marriage relationship, I've got to remind ourselves, uh, he meant it as a blessing. He didn't mean it as a lifelong burden that you, you have to carry. I mean, people have such, such horrific... Um, Nicknames for for their their spouses, you know, oh the old battle axe or the woman or the, all these different names they come up with that just really are denigrating. God intends this to be a beautiful picture. And let me say, I hope as the evening progresses tonight, perhaps I'll introduce to you some higher concepts of the marriage relationship that will ventilate your perspective on your marriage, perhaps help you to help others in this regard because so many are struggling. You know, if I were giving this message in 1910 instead of 2010, it would apply to relatively few of you because 100 years ago tonight, uh, about 1 in 10 marriages ended in divorce in America. Now, we did even then lead the Western world in this dubious distinction of being the most divorced society on the face of the earth. Today, Sweden and a few of the other countries in Scandinavia have edged ahead of us. But ten, one in ten back in the, in the turn of the century, roughly. Uh, today, you know the statistics. One for every 1.8. There's a variety of perspectives. It's about one out of two today. So 50% of the marriages that, that are, begin end in divorce in America today, something is dramatically, radically wrong. It's, it's not right. And we have two irrefutable sets of facts sitting before us like railroad tracks tonight. On one side, you have the Word of God, where he lays a, 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 a set of concrete tiers that are to be the stanchions for us to move along through life with our mate. Growing, changing, overcoming conflict and challenges, raising a family, living together, loving together, overcoming whatever God might bring into your path. On the other side of that is what man has done to this institution. And this is a scientific fact. It is observable. It is repeatable. It is, it is bolstered by a, a huge body of evidence that mankind has fundamentally destroyed the institution of marriage. It's barely recognizable from what God intended. And that, that is, is, is a proof text of the statistics that from, from 10, 10% at the turn of the century to now we're facing over 50% in some societies are ending in divorce, which is always painful, always traumatic, always has collateral damage. It's like dropping a hand grenade at a family picnic. There's going to be shrapnel. There's going to be innocent victims. There's going to be people who carry scars of that event for the rest of their life. 
And what they're going to say is that was when mom or dad dropped a grenade at our picnic. And it's going to do long-term harm to everybody concerned. And that was not God's intention. And we see how the corruption takes place in our text tonight in chapter 19 of the book of Matthew because the Pharisee came to him testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? By the very virtue of the fact they asked this question, it shows you how corrupted their perspective on marriage had become. They would even think of the question, Gee, is it okay, Jesus, for us to get divorced for any reason we feel like? And the reference was that they they thought if if the woman was unclean, if the woman had done anything virtually that the Pharisees had taken and expanded the the narrow opportunity and option for, for divorce, which was only to be under the most radical of circumstances, and made it for any reason. Let me say to you today, that we are much closer to the pharisaical view of marriage than we are to God's view of marriage, even in the church. Much more tolerant, much more accepting, much more quick to look at, at divorce as a solution, which it never is. It's always a doorway to more problems. They say, can we divorce for any reasons? And Jesus answered them in verse 4 and said, have you not read, don't you know, what God said. The answers are always found in the word of God. That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, saying, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Further, so then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And there it is, clear as crystal. Very obvious what God intended. The joining of two people, they become one flesh, like taking super glue with your hand and joining it to another piece of flesh. It is not to be separated. You are to leave mother and father, create a separate, unique, holy institution that God can begin to work through and flourish in. Their response, then they said to him, and watch carefully the language, will you you please, in verse 7? They said, why then did Moses command to give to us a certificate of divorce and to put her away. Did Moses command them to be divorced? Look at the further corruption of the principle. Even the fact that Moses, and he said, as you'll see here in verse 8, gave it for a very specific reason. He came very far from commanding them to be divorced. But you know, that's how some people act. That God has said, well, you know, if you have real serious problems, you're commanded to get divorced. If you're not happy in the relationship, it's acceptable to get divorced. Some counselors have that attitude. Well, you know, if, if you're really not making it to the other happen, and you've really tried, maybe it's best for all concerned if you just try again. Try again. Well, let's see what Jesus said. And he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, that's what you call a rebuke. Because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted. Look at the contrast between commanded and permitted. Jesus said, because you have hard hearts, because you don't have my heart, the way I intended back in the garden for you to operate, I am permitting. And it's not what I want. It's not by far my highest and best will. It's my permissible will. But even that is very narrow. And they seek to use it as a wedge issue to create a wide open door for divorce to flow through 
And it simply isn't God's intention. Because I want you to look at the tail end of verse 8. Underline it in your Bible, in your neighbor's Bible, anybody who let you. Okay? From the beginning, from the beginning, it was not so. People, we need the mind and the heart of God on the issue of marriage. You need to ask yourself, what did God intend for marriage to be? Is it to be this romantic, euphoric experience that I'm supposed to float through life? That she's always there or he's always there to meet my needs? And when that, when that ceases to happen, then I, I cease to give back? And you have a two dead seas living together. Neither of them intermingling. Neither of them giving life. Content to die alone rather than to live together. But he said from the beginning, that's now how it was to be. But I say to you, and now he begins to introduce one of four situations, and I want to go through them briefly because I think most of us are basically aware of what the Bible says about permissible remarriage. But I want to get it on tape or on on video. Just We absolutely have it in this series. And there are four reasons why God would allow remarriage. If you have been widowed, and I won't bring that up each time we have a, a discussion here about remarriage, but it goes without saying, if you are, have been widowed and your spouse, your mate has, has died, you are free to remarry another believer. That's obvious. Um, if there has been sexual immorality, as you see right here in the case of adultery, God does allow it. Even that is not his highest and his best. If your divorce has taken place before you were a believer and you are single when you become saved, you are free to marry another believer. That's the third reason. And fourth, if you have been abandoned, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, that, or rather uh, chapter 7, that if you have been abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, then you are free to remarry. You are not to be held in bondage. And those are the tenets God gives to us. It's very clear. It's not debatable or negotiable. And you people immediately begin to think, looking for a loophole, looking for some fine print, looking for a way out. And people are more desperate often to find a loophole out of marriage than they are desperate to find God's path to reconciliation and solution in marriage. And I'm afraid sometimes Christian friends are complicit in that conspiracy. And, you know, we, many of us, spend time in weddings. You've been best men and best maids of honor and and flower people, and you've been witnesses to many, many, many marriages. But it doesn't end when when the reception's over. Very often the pastor reminds you, we here are today as witnesses of the vows you have taken till death do us part. And especially if you've been in the wedding party and are very intimate with 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 the groom. You need to hold them accountable to those words when times get tough and they're tempted to walk away from those vows. God expects and anticipates because he is a man of his word that we ought to be men and women of our word. And so, as family, as the church, we have to rally around troubled marriages and apply triage when they're needing intensive care. We ought to be there to remind them, to encourage them, to point them, not to condemn them, not to, not, not to break down their, their morale, but to remind them and to help them back on the path that God wants them to be a healthy, happy relationship. And God can redeem, I believe, any relationship. Listen, I think it's almost impossible for two people who are committed to Jesus Christ 
reading his word, filled with the spirit, serving his people to seek and really come to a place of irreconcilable living together. If those people really are doing that, God will lead them to be self-sacrificially serving the other person. And they will no longer be living the trauma drama of their needs. They'll break out of that death, death hold of a dark star and they'll begin orbiting around the other person instead of the other way around. And if you're really determined that your goal is to make your spouse the happiest, most loved person on earth, the very last thing you're going to want to do is leave them. So if you get up in the morning and the sun rises and sets on their needs and not yours, and that's by very definition what agape love is all about, when you begin to pour out your love for that person, irrespective of the cost to you, and of course it brings us right back to the cross of what Jesus did. It cost him greatly, but he loved us dearly. So as you die to yourself and give to the other person, you're not going to be tempted to be a flesh monster. It's not going to be all about your needs. And you're not going to have the bitterness harbored in your heart because you haven't had your needs served and met. So two people with that attitude, filled with the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord, they're going to be headed for God's house, not the divorce house. So that's, what, that's the, 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 the step we need to take of getting two healthy people spiritually. And the, the principles we, we know, we teach thousands of people in that room, these principles. And they apply to marriage. They apply to every simple several relationships and levels of your life. And that is, as a Christian, you need to be reading God's word, fellowshipping with his people, uh, reaching out to others, and praying. Those are the four table legs of a stable, healthy life. If you are doing that, and you are consumed by it, and you give yourself wholly to it with a W and with an H, you're going to find yourself not keeping score anymore, uh, not having... Uh, it, it, the Bible says there is no contention without pride. And so if you're humbling yourself, you find it very difficult to argue because you can't argue with a corpse. They're just dead. If you're, dead, if you're truly dead to yourself, that we say, they can say the nastiest thing to you and you're just going to... You're dead. The response is going to be very, uh, very quick and very, very slow. Or very quick and very, um, very fast. So we need to get to our um, observations of what the Savior has said, which we find here. But any time we introduce the attitude of Jesus and he gives us um, principles that he allows divorce and he has sexual immorality and those things that are so devastating in a relationship, uh, we've got to get to the grace. We've got to get to the foot of the cross. We have to remind ourselves that... Uh, Divorce and adultery and these kind of failures are not the unforgivable sin. Sometimes we treat them as if they were. Uh, In the epistles, Paul wrote about sins of the fruits of the flesh. He wrote about sins that were committed by the body and sins that were committed by the spirit. Uh, We know these are sins of the flesh. But he also spoke about pride. He spoke about boastfulness. He, talk about, he, t- he talked about attitudes of, of spiritual superiority. And frankly, uh, we know that all sins are fundamentally equal in the economy of God. But listen now. When Jesus dealt with sin while he was on earth, as I observe it, and you, you explore scripture for yourself, I see him dealing with sins of a sexual nature very compassionately. 
very graciously. The woman at the well married multiple times. We find him the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He forgave her. On the other hand, the Pharisees who were guilty of the sins of the, of the spirit, of superiority, of, of pride, of, of, of all these, these different, filled with the, the, the things of the flesh that, that inflate the ego, he was very harsh with them, spoke very, very differently to them. Now, we know that ultimately to both he would say, repent, be forgiven, go, and sin no more. But I think to create a special class of second-rate citizens because they have failed in their marriages is a huge mistake. That God can redeem any life, and he wants to take you from wherever you're at tonight and begin moving you to the best you can be between this breath and your last breath. This much we know. So divorce is not just a a growing problem. It is pandemic. Um, And what we need to realize is that the Savior has given us the solutions uh, to be found in communion at the foot of his cross. But let's realize how far we have fallen from what God intended uh, back at the garden. We know that... um, in, in, a, in, the address, in the address of the, the Corinthians, uh, Paul said, be content in whatever state you find yourself to be in. Um, in the Old Testament, if you'll track back with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, I'll uh, tell you where I got the title for today's message. It really comes in a, a previous chapter, in chapter 2, verse 12, where the Bible says, be astonished, O heavens. Just be stunned by the condition what man has done to God. We live in such an aberrant time. We live in such a time that is so corrupted what God intended for mankind that even the heavens are startled by the bold face confrontation that the flesh does to God's Holy Spirit. These are strange days indeed that God would even allow this parentheses of pollution to exist on planet Earth. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, we get a much higher view of marriage than you might think. Because God places himself as the bridegroom to the nation Israel. And as you read through verse 8 and following, you'll find God introducing the the perspective and principle of harlotry on the part of, of the bride. And that Israel created spiritual adultery in their midst. And they would not repent of it. And that their sister Judah in the southern tribes were guilty of following in their ways and they would not repent of it. And it broke God's heart. And you have to realize God has given us these precepts and these principles that we might be healthy. When we hurt, God hurts. God, God sees how you feel. God knows our isolation. God knows our emotions. He knows when we're, when, where we're broken and we, when we, we weep over our situation, and he wants to, to protect you from that. Now, I have to, have to introduce the one point that, that at, this, at this juncture that there are people who the Bible forbids to remarry. And it's not a comfortable topic. People are reluctant to counsel about it. People are even less reluctant to receive and obey the principle. But there are people in the Bible that God says are not free to remarry because of the condition of their divorce. So I'm not going to paint with a broom right now, but those conditions certainly exist. You might think, boy, that is so difficult to digest. 
But don't you know God perhaps is keeping you from more heartache? Because as, as staggering as the statistic of 50% of the marriages, the first marriages that end in divorce, the, the statistic that really is telling to me that shows me that God really knows what he's talking about is the next one. Is it hop to 60 to 70% of the second marriages fail. Now you see, if that number was dramatically lower, like 10 or 15%, we might make the case, well, I made a mistake in my first marriage, but I learned my lesson, and boy, this time I found the right person, the love of my life, and I'm really going to do it right, it's really going to succeed. Just the opposite happens. When you go through one divorce, the likelihood in 95% of people who get divorced, remarry. And 70% of those will go through a second divorce. By a third divorce... It's almost 80%. By a fourth marriage, rather, by a fourth marriage, you might as well pack it in and call it a day. It was just over. Because we, just because you change personalities, you don't change the problem. You take yourself and reintroduce it into that next relationship. So God's advice would be, guess what? Solve it now. Because just changing characters is not going to change the true dynamic. The problem we have discovered is us and us not adopting um, God's principles for a healthy marriage. Now, I could talk all night about the, the damage that happens in families from divorce and what it's going to cause. Well, let me read one prediction, then I'll, I'll tell you why. This isn't even the worst part of, of disobedience. One social scientist said this about the, 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 the carousel, the, the roller coaster of remarriage and divorce and remarriage and the high percentages of second and third marriages that are right back in divorce court within five years. He says, if we come up and continue to move towards a society without nuclear families, we will have a civilization of mental and emotional monsters. That will be it for our civilization. We will have a generation of emotionally misfit people. The quality of family life will continue to deteriorate, producing a society with a higher rate of mental illness than ever before. The majority of our hospital beds will be filled with mental patients. This illness will be characterized by a lack of self-control. Violent crime will increase even within the family. How often do you open the paper and find an entire family killed by another family member? Murder suicides in the family. A father killing the wife and all the children than himself. There it is. The suicide rate will rise. As sexuality becomes more unlimited, more separated from family and emotional commitment, the deadening effect will cause more experimentation and widespread perversion. And divorce will be the major contributor to this plague. That's his prediction. That sounds pretty awful to me. But you know what? This is not even the worst part. The after effects of this cycle is not even the most uh, awful aspect of rampant divorce and remarriage. It's disobedience. It's not social effects. It's the fact that so many people are willing to disobey the clear precepts of God's word. Because if you're willing to do it in such a large area of your life, you're willing to compromise almost anywhere, almost everywhere. And when you begin doing it repeatedly, it becomes habitual. It becomes chronic. It becomes almost irreversible. And you become nearly unusable in the kingdom of God. And the Lord doesn't want that. He wants to bring us back from the brink of emotional chaos. 
take you, take you away from the pit of emotional confusion. And bring, he wants you to be healthy. The Bible says that the gift of God is a sound mind. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. None of these things are typical of a relationship in, in, in chaos. And God wants you to experience the, the fruits of his Holy Spirit. It's very difficult to do that when you're coming apart at the seams relationally. The Lord doesn't want that. And the great news tonight, people, is you can take whatever condition you find yourself in. He is more than capable of beginning to move you towards health. No matter how far you have fallen, God is capable of taking you to a new road ahead. Now, how can we play a part in that? Well, you know, this summer we, we did a little class at our house for uh, half a dozen couples who were between 18 and 21 are getting married the next six months to a year. And we called it Young Love. We tried to prepare them financially and in issues of intimacy and issues of, um, of finding your career path and prepare them for the challenges they would face ahead. Because as I see so many relationships and counseling and by experience and observation over the years, I just have a burden for young couples going into marriage and then hitting the rocks within three to five years. So we called these into our, into our house for a series a few Monday nights in a row. And my, my time came around. Of course, I drew, you know, a great topic, but I had to talk about challenges you face in your marriage and, and how to prepare for after the honeymoon's over. And, you know, as I tried to introduce these topics to these kids, they were looking at me like I was Satan, <laughs> try, trying to ruin their romance. You are, you are the devil. They, they were saying to me with their eyes at first. Because when people are in that euphoric state of, of the pre-marriage condition and sexual tensions are high and, and, and the newness and the freshness and all that, it is next to impossible to say, well, you know, the day is going to come in a few years when you're going to wake up and you have to prepare and you have to be able to deal with these, these challenges. They, they're not going to get it. What we can do is, is introduce to them concepts of spiritual health. Because healthy individuals spiritually can deal with any challenge that comes along. Financial, sexual, relational, health, whatever it might be. So our responsibility as a church family is not to try to make them completely bulletproof when it comes to problems that are going to face maritally. But if you have two healthy individuals who understand the concept that marriage is a temporary institution in this dispensation on earth, because Jesus said in heaven, the angels never marry or are given in marriage. It's going to be a whole new relational plane we can't even grasp. Now, can we? Our mind goes on tilt. We start to think what that might mean. Well, who am I going to go out with? Who will I have dinner with? Or who's going to, well, it's going to be a whole new world. Okay? So we have to, to tell them that their marriage relationship, listen now, their marriage relationship is not about making them happy. If the end goal of your marriage is for you to be happy, you are doomed to failure almost certainly. Because you're taking two emotional people, trying to shove them together in the most intimate of circumstances. They find out, gosh, we're nearly strangers. They we're living together. And they're supposed to do it for 40 or 50 years. That's a recipe for disaster unless you introduce God. And the Bible says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Man, wife, and the Holy Spirit. Now you're cooking. That's a recipe for a life of living, learning, growing, and giving together. And that's what God wants us to do. So, remarriage. 
Well, in the Old Testament, there's another example of a man called Hosea. If you really want the heart of God on an attitude towards a bride, of God's attitude towards us as his bride, read the book of Hosea in one setting. Get yourself alone in the next few days and sit down with the book of Hosea and be amazed. And then just sit back and let it seep in and realize, this is how God feels about me. This is how his love is for me. I have been Gomer. God is Hosea. And he still loves me. He'll still take me back. If we had time, we'd go through Jeremiah chapter 3 and you'd see God allowing Israel and Judah to go into captivity because of their harlotry. But at the end, he says, I'll give you pastors after my own heart. I'll bring you back to myself. I'll reconcile with you. And people, that's the, if you allow it, the magic word. Many of us need our relationships reconciled, brought back under the auspices of the Holy Spirit as he superintends working piece by piece, brick by brick in your relationship. But don't wait until you're in the intensive care ward. When you first begin to see the cracks and fissures in your marriage, deal with them because those cracks become canyons. And then you have a long, a long and painful road of bringing those two sides back together. So as the church body, it's our responsibility to recognize that process and to cooperate in bringing it down the road. So obedience is the issue. The ultimate sin of a broken family is disobedience to God's word and to God's will for our life. And so where are we, each of us? You may say, well, remarriage doesn't really apply to me. I'm past that or I'm I'm single or marriage is solid, whatever it might be. I guarantee you, if we asked you all to raise your hand, if you had somebody in your immediate family who'd been touched by remarriage and divorce, nearly everyone here would raise their hands. It is a huge and painful, delicate issue. But God, God is willing and able to take you through the steps. So, where are you at tonight? Well, perhaps you're single. Perhaps you're in the stage of the preparing for marriage. Do yourself, do your spouse, do your future children, do the church and your community a favor. Take the idea of divorce completely out of your vocabulary. It should be a word that is taboo. You should make almost a written agreement never to speak that word in your marriage relationship. It's not to be an option. It's not to to be an alternative. It's not to be uh, the disaster button that you push. Uh, when When you enter into the marriage relationship, you need to completely take it off the table. So, maybe you are married tonight. Perhaps you're in a troubled marriage. Maybe you're not even sleeping in the same room with your mate. Maybe you haven't for some long time. I know that's difficult. But I also know God can heal it. God can change it. God solved the biggest problem you could ever have, forgiving your sin. He can heal your marriage. He can bring two people, no much how much of a rascal you may be married to, and, and God can bring you back together. And you be the example. You be the lighthouse. You seek the Lord. You just drench yourself in the things of God. You just have the joy of God. Just when you get bumped, don't let poison flow out of your vessel. Let joy. Let living water. When that begins to happen, it inevitably will splash onto your mate. Now, when you have two poison vessels colliding, what's going to happen? More poison. An explosion. Chemical reaction. 
But when one person begins to diligently seek the Lord, to die to themselves, to give themselves to his, his things and to his word, that's where change begins. That's the road to reconciliation. So the lesson from remarriage for the married tonight is to don't even think that, that divorce and remarriage is a solution. Do you really think that parenting stepchildren is easier than parenting your own children? Get real. It's, it's, it's much more complex and complicated. Do you really want those holiday issues? Do you really want multiple, multiple families and fractured relationships? You don't. So take it off the table no matter how far down the road you may be in negativity with your mate. And humble yourself before the living God and he will lift you up and he'll give you the humility and the strength to come to your mate and ask for forgiveness and and make a commitment to a lifelong relationship no matter what it takes. So you're asking me, am I saying that it's it's right to stay together even in a painful, difficult marriage uh, for the sake of the children? It's not for the sake of the children. It's for the sake of the Lord and his institution of marriage and the vows you took before him. And when you begin to be obedient, God inevitably will honor and respect that commitment and you'll begin to see changes. Now, you didn't get there overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. You may have had years of practice of building up grudges and bad communication habits and harboring bitterness. And God will begin slowly to deconstruct all those walls and allow you to begin free-flowing with each other again. So, now, what if you find yourself tonight having failed? And if you've been divorced, you don't need me or anyone else to tell you that you have failed. You need no one else to add that to your life. You know. What you, you need is God's grace. What you need to realize, again, I want to emphasize and underscore it, is that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. God is willing, even eager, to forgive you, to restore you, to reconcile you, and to take you down the path, the best path you can go from this point on, whatever that may be. And it's certainly individual, and it's always superintended by the principles of God's Word. But I know this, that He loves you very deeply and very dearly. Wherever, whatever condition you find yourself in tonight, Whatever level of of pain you have, he is the God of all comfort. And he'll come alongside you and understand your failures and dust you off and pick you up and above all, forgive you and relieve that shame and relieve that guilt. Let's not forget what God did in the garden. What God did in the garden was when they sinned and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And you know, we have a fig tree growing in our backyard. First one I've ever seen. So I thought I'd do a little a little experiment. So I, I, I just want to see what these fig leaves were like. So I went and harvested a couple. No. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I found out these things dry out almost immediately. And I put it on my skin. And it was like sandpaper. It was so abrasive. And I'm thinking, Adam, you're supposed to be the smartest guy ever. And all you could find was a fig leaf and sewing them together? Dude. And God took 
God took their failure in covering their sin and their shame and, and, and their inability and he, he slew an animal and covered them. So shame's not even on the table anymore, folks. And guilt, let that burden be lifted tonight if you're carrying it. Whatever your level of failure might be in life, however this might hit you personally, because God's Spirit will take it and use it as you need it tonight. And recognize that He, he is the God who's going to come there, and He is the God of all, all your needs, all, all your provisions, and all of your future. And He wants this to be a, a church of healthy, forgiving, graceful people. And we have those among us who are the walking wounded. Let's not add to their misery. Let's be a part of their recovery. you pray with me? Lord, tonight uh, we, we come to you in, um, in need. And whatever level, Lord, where we have come short, you are there, Lord, to pick us up. I just want to take a moment, Lord, and, and pray for the marriages in this room tonight, whatever age or state or condition they might be in. And know, Lord, they are the building blocks of this church, of this community, of our culture, of our very civilization, Lord. And we pray for the marriages of this church and of this city. I pray you strengthen them, Lord. Anybody, Lord, who's even considering dissolution of a marriage, I pray they do a sharp U-turn and repent from that disobedience and face a future, Lord, that may be difficult but will be filled with promises from your word and not fall off into the canyon, Lord, of disobedience that so many have gone off. So, God, we are, we are thankful for your grace. We, we appreciate, Lord, the, your quickness to forgive and your reminder, Lord, that you died, that we might know eternal life and that your grace is so much greater than any of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.